This morning, as we look at God's Word, we're going to be reading in a few moments from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Uh, the text that we'll be using is verse 6 regarding the uh, righteousness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and, uh, and the promise that God gives with that. But the Old Testament reading that I've chosen prior to that is from Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 11. Isaiah 55, 1 to 11. Let's hear that first. Hear God's word. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money, your money, for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in a rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me, hear, that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return but, return but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And hear God's word as Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Hear again God's word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, 
for so persecuted the prophets who were before you. This ends a reading in God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you again for the blessing of your word today and for the blessing of gathering together, of knowing the need for that word that we have in our own hearts daily, that we can sing out, thy word have I hidden my heart. We pray that you would grant your blessing upon this reading of your word to us, that we may see again the wonderful promises you have made to us of your grace in our lives. We pray as well, Lord, that your grace might work in our own hearts as well as this word is proclaimed, that we may learn from your word, that we may learn to grow, that we may hide it in our hearts and have it ready, Lord, at any point in our lives, our conscience being ready to hear and to be guided. We ask that you would hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. The Beatitudes, I take it you've memorized them by now. Every week I've come, that I've been here, I've, no, last time I didn't, but uh, otherwise was just about every time we went through the next one of the Beatitudes. And you look at the Beatitudes again, just by way of review. The very first word in each one is based on the word Beatitude, blessed, blessed. Now, in the English, that uh, can be translated two different ways from the original Greek or the Hebrew. And it depends on where it's found, but uh, there is a blessed that is, we use it in in funerals, eulogies. Eulogeo is the the Greek name. And uh, Barak in in the Hebrew. But something we say, it's a good word that's spoken. It's sometimes translated praise to God. Blessed be God, praise God. We speak praise to our God. And those are wonderful things. Those are wonderful words when we hear that in the, in the Bible. But what Jesus is talking about here is another kind of blessed, and it's, we use the word happy for that. Happy. And yet, Happy doesn't quite pull in all of the blessing that's there. And so they say blessed. I'm glad they do. Because just the word blessed itself means not only happy, but a glorious happiness. A covenantal happiness. A happiness that God gives to us. And that can only come from God. And so happy And you read through the Beatitudes, and every time you see the word happy again, and you think of all the things that would make you happy, and the first thing they give to you, that Jesus gives to us, is just the opposite. Blessed, happy, covenantally happy are the poor in spirit. What? Thank you. 
I'm happy when I get a raise. Aren't you? I'm happy when uh, we, we get our house painted, when we get a new car. You're happy when all of these wonderful things happen. I'm not putting down some of these things but because I know there's something we prayed for, and I'm so glad for that. And somebody here is here today because of prayers. Been glad for that. Blessed. And God does bring those blessings. But happy are the poor in spirit. Well, that's what Jesus is getting at. And if you notice, every one of these is something that the world really doesn't have on their list. There's no bucket list of happiness here in the world. Those who mourn, those who are meek, and then today, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think by now we begin to see what Jesus is getting at. He's pointing us away from ourselves to God. Because it's God who gives the blessing in each time. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the, those who mourn. They will be comforted. You are comforted. God sent his Holy Spirit as a comforter. Jesus comforts you. He paid for their sins with his own blood on the cross. Blessed are the meek, those who don't think highly of themselves and yet will take the gifts that God has given and use them. They'll inherit the earth. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hungering and thirsting. I mentioned Martin Lloyd-Jones a number of times here because he has a very fine series of sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. But his comments with regard to this particular sermon, with regard to this particular beatitude, is, well, he basically says, as the, as the beatitudes follow logically from previous ones, and it is a statement to which all others lead. This one here has all the others leading to it. It's a logical conclusion to which they come. And it is something for which we should be profoundly thankful and grateful to God. To hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says, I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession, that a verse like this, if this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of Scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. That's a strong statement. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And if it's not... One of the most blessed statements to you in the whole of Scripture, you had better examine the foundations of your faith again. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? 
Is that the blessing in your life you seek? God is a just God. You ask any of your children, what is God? And they know the shorter catechism on question number four. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And the word righteousness has to do with justice. God is a just God. He's a God of righteousness. He does not punish unduly. He does not bless without reason. So out of the depths of a spiritual poverty, having mourned over our sin, and meekness as citizens of the kingdom, we cry to God for fulfillment. We cry out to be like our God. He was, we were created after his image, for that matter. You want to know what the image of God is? You can learn it in the catechism, but just go to two passages in the New Testament. Ephesians 4.24. Ephesians 4.24 where we are to be made after the, a new person, after Christ in, now, in righteousness and holiness. Those two words are used there. In Colossians 3.10, you could add the word knowledge. It's a very parallel passage. And so what is the image of God? Knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Are we a people who seeks righteousness? Are we a people for whom righteousness is at the core of who we are and what God has made us to be? And that's what Jesus is saying. The human race in its fall, in its sins, has lost track of what is righteousness. They've hungered and thirst for more things. Money, possessions, fame, pleasure. And after all, we have the right to do so. Our Constitution says so, our Declaration of Independence. The inalienable right to find happiness, pursue happiness. But we're sinners, and we often pursue happiness in the wrong places. Psalm 42, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The passages also have a very, very ominous sound to them that give a stern and a dire warning such as Deuteronomy 28, verse 47 and following, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity, therefore in hunger and thirst you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. So Jesus' emphasis on hungering and thirsting is not misplaced. 
Hungering and thirsting, is that the real issue in your life? Do you really hunger and thirst for the things that God wants you to have? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? And I want to talk about righteousness for a few moments. Because the word righteousness is used in a couple different ways. Want some of the big words, justification, sanctification. Righteousness is used in both of those. Or if you want, imputation, impartation. God imputes to us the righteousness of Christ. He puts it on our record. Can't be blotted out, can't be erased. The second word, he imparts his righteousness to us so that our daily walk is more and more like the walk of our Savior. More and more like the walk that God had created Adam and Eve to walk in. He imparts his righteousness. Imputation. Why is that important? Well, very early in the scriptures, it's Abraham who is the father of our faith because of this very thing. He believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham was not made righteous simply because he did good things. When all was said and done, yes, there are many good things he did, and those good things flowed from the fact that he f- had faith in God. He trusted God. He went blindly, as it were, to a country he never knew about. Probably heard about it, that's about all, but what was the layout of the land? What was it like? You Sunday school class or in your own classes in school, you, know, you, you learn of the Fertile Crescent. And how Abraham walks all the way with his family and his possessions. From down in Ur, the Chaldees, near the Persian Gulf, and then up and over the Fertile Crescent. crescent. And way at the top, he stops for a time. And then he comes down to Canaan. That's the promised land. Does he build a house in the promised land? The answer is no. He lives in a tent. He's going to have descendants like the sand of the seashore. Where are they? He walked all this way, went all this way with everything he had. You see what we mean by faith. He trusted God. His trust also had feet to it. Because he went where God led him. And so Abraham was counted righteous because he believed the Lord. The scriptures talk about our lives with that, that, that uh, without Christ, we, we have a polluted garment. Isaiah talks about that. 
You've heard a sermon here about Joshua the high priest and how God gives him a new garment. And he's clothed in that. God's righteousness is from God. Jeremiah even calls the Lord the Lord who is righteous. Jehovah said, Kenu. And it's not because of righteousness which we have done. I tell you, I'm tugged to tell a story here because this Titus 3, 5 has been on my mind ever since. It's been a lot of decades since my very first young people's camp. And we wound up with a cabin that had some, let's say boys that were a little bit over the top. And so... First night, I led devotions. I had another guy, a counselor in the room with me, and uh, I've been very glad to have met him and I think, I think he's with the Lord now. But uh, anyway, so I did my devotions and then we all, we prayed, went to sleep, and nice and quiet for about a minute. Then you start hearing the buzz around from one talking to the other, one talking to the other. Pretty soon, my co-counselor, he turns, he's right by the door and he has right by the light switch. He turns the light switch on. He says, uh, hey guys, tomorrow morning's going to come a lot, fa quite fast, so we need our rest. Okay, they got quiet again. He turned on the lights. It was quiet for about a minute. Then the busyness started up again, and finally he just reached up, flipped up the lights. You guys want another devotion, huh? And so he gave him another devotion that night. And that devotion was Titus 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Yeah, those boys memorized that. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Keep that in mind. That's what this sermon is about. The story is just a byline here. But it's also a great byline of memorized scripture. And the second night, okay, we're, he gave the devotion. And uh, he says, okay, we know. And uh, he flipped off the light. One minute goes by, da, 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 da. he turns on the light again, okay, another devotion. So he gave another devotion the second night. Anyway, the third night, they tried it again. They didn't want any more devotions. <laughs> they had devotions every night anyway, but uh, not a second one. But, you know, at the campfire at the end of the week, what really warmed my heart was to hear these men, these young boys, recite Titus 3, verse 5 at the campfire, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the mercy of God we are saved, not by our works of righteousness, 
The mercy that brings us faith. The mercy that brings us the blessing of God's presence in our lives, indwelling. So that's the imputation, but then there's also the impartation. And you really can't separate the one from the other because when Christ died on the cross, he died not only to give us his righteousness, but also to send his Holy Spirit to sanctify us. He sent his Holy Spirit that we might show that righteousness in our lives with a holy life, with a life that loves the Lord our God, with a witness to the world that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Not like the Pharisees, just look some time on your own on the the verses in the Sermon on the Mount about righteousness, and you see that uh, don't be like the Pharisees. The Pharisees, just right after the, the, the Beatitudes and then the salt and the light, Jesus talks about not coming to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he says to the disciples, don't let your lives be like those of the Pharisees. If you want a righteousness, you need to be better than the Pharisees. And of course, for them, that would be what? That's amazing. There's only one place that we can find that. That's in Christ. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when we do good works and we do good things around other people, what's our, what's our motive? What's our purpose? Is it to be seen by others and, oh, he's really a good guy. She's really doing well. I, uh, boy, I wish, I, I would like my children to be like that. Well, it would be nice to have neighbors like that. I agree. But where is Christ in it? We can't without Christ. It's Jesus Christ who will judge the world in righteousness. Not only did he die that his righteousness might be laid to our account, but he also rose again from the dead and will judge us one day as Paul speaks to the Athenian philosophers. So what is righteousness to you? We are to offer our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Romans 6.13 So what satisfies the natural man? Pride things of this earth, things that when their bodies are laid in the grave, nothing else will follow them. That's a terrible picture, isn't it? But for the Christian, when a loved one is laid in the grave, 
we know full well that the righteousness of Christ is not something that only goes so far. It's with him. It's with that person. That person is with Christ. That person God receives into his presence. Not because they've been so good, but because Christ died for them and they believed it. You can tell the story about Martin Luther if you want. I could tell that about Martin Luther just you know, praying the ears off the priest in the confession booth because he, he, couldn't get for, he couldn't say enough about his sins. And finally the priest says, let's go to bed. Let's call it off for now. Luther, that was a real problem. Maybe you do the same thing. Maybe that's an issue in your own heart, and it should be. It should be up to a point that we hate our sin, that we don't want our sin in our lives. We don't want that between standing between us and our God. And then we think of the cross. Jesus paid that full price on the cross for my sins. It was such a simple illustration that many years ago we were in church in uh, Iowa. This is before the ministry. And Minister was uh, Richard DeRitter. Maybe some of you remember the name, having been been to Sioux Center. But he gave a sermon, and in that sermon he talked about visiting an elderly woman on her deathbed. She knew she was going to die. He knew she was going to die. The family asked him to come in. And the question that he had for her was, Are you afraid to die? And the most wonderful answer she comes back with is, grabbed my mind when he said it, no, I'm not. Because all my sins that I have done in my life, God took them and he placed them on the shoulders of his own son on the cross. And they're all my sins are paid for. I'm going to be with Jesus. What an illustration. What a blessing to know that it is Jesus Christ who is our hope. And so the blessing that follows with those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is that they will be filled. Hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of Christ, you will be satisfied. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. And this is the Jesus who did thirst. 
He did hunger. His words on the cross speak of that thirst. His words early in his ministry in the hour of temptation speak of these words. That he indeed hungered. We don't read that he hungered except Satan tempted him with that very issue. Make these stones into bread. And Jesus says, there's something more important to feed my hunger. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus thirsted on the cross. I am thirsty. And on the cross, as he died, there are several verses that I just I worked through every time because of the Im- immense disparity. Galatians 3:13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us that our righteousness deserved, our unrighteousness deserved. Or 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Somebody probably has an explanation for that verse. I can't dig into it far enough to really get everything out of it. What what, what it means is that Jesus became sin for us. Everything that's totally opposite. And he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, 1 Peter 2.24, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So, never again, Revelation says, will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. To him who is thirsty, I give to his drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. What a blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is this your hope? Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And that hope is only by the word of God that comes to us, and God then blesses that word. I like the Christmas carol by Charles Dickens. An interesting piece of literature, and even in films. But uh, 
there's something about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus that says something different. You know, thanks to all of these ghosts from Christmas past and so on coming in and Jacob Marley. And that's to change Scrooge. But we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus in which Lazarus, who sits as a beggar outside the rich man's home, dies and goes to Abraham's side in heaven. The rich man also dies, and the next thing you see him, he's in hell. The rich man lifts up his eyes, and he sees that there's a huge chasm, but he sees Abraham and the Lazarus afar off. It's an amazing parable, just to think of that. And, of course, the rich man, send Lazarus over here to dip his finger in the water and just touch my tongue because I'm parched with thirst. And Abraham said, there's a great gulf fixed between us. He can't. Well, the rich man, he has one other thing to say. And Well, then send Lazarus back to earth and tell my brothers what's happening here. And Abraham's words back to the rich man. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. We don't need something spectacular, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have God's word. We have Jesus' words here in the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, our Savior was thirsty. Our Savior was hungry for us. And he did so that we could say as we look realistically at ourselves and not just because it's reasonable to look this way, but suddenly God has opened our eyes To see that we are not righteous. We are not fit for heaven. As we are poor in spirit, as we are, as we are, as we mourn our sins, as we are meek in our own constitution. This comes because of God's grace helping us see ourselves. He also helps us see that we are lacking righteousness in ourselves. We have none. And we will die without it unless we know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. He's the answer to this beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For in Christ you will find righteousness and be filled. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the love of Jesus Christ, for the blessing of his grace. We pray that you would watch over us this day as we seek again to live according to your purposes. 
that we don't live according to our standards, Lord, for our standards are always like the world's, where they are empty of true fulfillment. It is only from your word that we find truth. Only your word that we find conviction. Only from your word that we find growth. Bless us this day that we may see that we are righteous because of Jesus Christ and because of faith in him. And in him we are satisfied. We are filled and will be forevermore. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.